0: want to do this time is to address an issue that asserts itself. Sometimes our perception of end time promise is affected by issues that don't have anything to do with end times, but they intrude and change, they distort our understanding of what the Bible says on this subject, and that's what we're doing Right now, we're addressing one of those issues, which is the Jewishness of Jesus and the anti-Semitism of the church. The church has had in its midst a stronghold of anti-Semitism for a very long time, literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, that has affected the way we perceive Jesus and the way we deal with his return at the end of the age. So let's look at this teaching, let's look at this uh, rather ugly part of history and see how it happened and then we'll see how it affects our perception of end time promise. First, a good dose of the Word of God. Um, This is from Ephesians 2. The main verse that deals with the relationship between Jew and Gentile and this is what it says for he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two that is Jew and Gentile one new man out of the two, one new humanity, one new temple, he actually uses the expression temple, out of the two elements, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Okay, so the idea here is there's two entities, there's Jews and there's Gentiles, and he's putting them together into a new temple, a new reality. Now I want you to notice that the Jew is still Jew and the Gentile is still Gentile, but they're being put together, they're joined by a supernatural connection, just as in a marriage, a husband and a wife, man and a woman. The the, the man is not supposed to become a woman and the woman is not supposed to become a man, but they're they're, they're remaining a man and a woman, but they're being joined into a new reality, and that's what God is doing here through Christ by taking the Jew and the Gentile and joining them together in a new reality. All right. The church, the, the ecclesia of God, the people of God, now have two elements joined together. And how did he do this? Well, he created a bridge, and then he appointed a man named Shaul, uh, who became known as the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was sent across the bridge from the Jews to the Gentiles to bring the gospel. And this is what he said. I became all things to all people, all men, so that I might win some of them to Christ. In other words, what he's saying is he did not require the Gentiles to come across the bridge to his side of the bridge, but God directed him to go to their side so that they would establish a direct connection with God from their side of the bridge. In other words, they don't have to become Jews to become Christians. And so there's a culture cultural chasm that's being spanned, and a Jew is going across that bridge and spanning that that chasm, and he is joining these two together and creating this new reality. All right. Well, um, what happens next is there's two groups of churches. There's Messianic Jewish churches which are going to prosper. The Gospel of Matthew, for example, uh, most scholars recognize, was written within the context of the Messianic Jewish congregations. The other three Gospels were written within the context of the outreach to the Gentile church. And so in the early days, for about 350 years, there were these two entities, the Jewish and the Gentile both growing up in their separate cultures in Christ and relating to each other. Now, there were arguments. There was They didn't always get along, but they were still, they they honored each other, they respected each other, and they were both growing up into Christ. And it was God's will for them to be joined together in this supernatural bond from the cross. But then trouble began to emerge, and it really emerged from the Gentile side of the bridge. Okay, So at the end of the 2nd century, Pope Victor in Rome decided that he was going to excommunicate all Christians who still celebrated the Passover on the 14th of Nisan which is the day that Passover had always been celebrated uh, because that's when God said to celebrate the, the, the Passover. And so all of the churches, especially those churches that were in the apostolic areas, okay, Antioch, Ephesus, Smyrna, all those areas to the east of Rome, they were still doing it that way, but Rome decided to change that tradition and have the Passover end uh... every year on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so that was a new tradition being established in the gentile church okay so and now the two traditions are coexisting but then along comes Pope Victor in the Roman church and he says All you who do it the other way, we excommunicate you. You are no longer a part of us. And that just created no end of difficulty. But it was the beginning of a change. And the change was that Rome and the Roman church was going to outlaw from its precincts any Jewish practice. So now what's happening is, The bridge is being exploded from the Gentile side until finally in the year 787, I'm sorry to say the Second Council of Nicaea formally uh, outlaws any Jewish practice in any of the churches. And so from, from then on, only the Gentile is recognized and not you have to become a gentile you have to do it like us if you're going to stay in the church so and it gets worse from there now all of a sudden in the medieval church after the second council of nicaea christians are blaming the jews for the death of jesus it's not Jesus died because of all of our sin. Jesus died because the Jews killed him and so now we're going to blame the Jews and that becomes a cultural thing throughout the church and it's going to last way beyond into the reformed era and on in up into this last century. Uh, we're going to blame the Jews for the death of Jesus. This utterly, utterly demolishes the bridge. If there was anything left of it at all, there's nothing left now. And we have to deal with the reality of the broken bridge. On top of this, replacement theology. We, the church, are spiritual Israel. We're not grafted into Israel. We're spiritual Israel. We're a replacement for Israel. God doesn't need Israel anymore. It's now us. We're we're the Gentile church and we're the true Israel. All of this is a direct contrast to Ephesians chapter 2 and what the word of God says. Satan has planted a doctrine in the church that exalts itself against the word of God and instead of the cross bringing these two realities together, these two cultures, these two people groups together and joining them with a supernatural bond, we're saying now that the cross actually is destroying the Jewish half and so now we only need ourselves, we need the Gentile part. And that is absolutely wrong. And God is confronting us with that today. So we have a satanic strategy, and we have reasons for it which we'll get into as we we look at why, why does Satan hate the Jews and why does he want to get rid of them. That's later on in the series. But I'm happy to report that in... 1965, the Roman Catholic Church repented of replacement theology and began to move into a dialogue with the Messianic Jewish congregations. And if, you, if this is the first you've heard of any of this, let me recommend to you a good book. All right, this is Your people shall be my people by Don Finto. And it goes through all of the recent history of what God is doing to restore, first of all, to restore Messianic Jewish congregations. And then at the very end of this book, it talks about Toward Jerusalem Council Two, which is a major effort that I believe is born of God to bring healing and reconciliation to this whole tragic, sorry, sorry history, so that Ephesians 2 can become reality today. This is kingdom reality. The two shall become one. God breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. All of this has to happen if we're going to look at the end times properly. It's like when we repent of anti Semitism a filter is removed from our eyes and we're able to see God's word more clearly. And we're going to have to see that Jesus is a Jew who said salvation is from the Jews. And so we have to deal with the Jewishness of Jesus. And more and more, as we look at end time promise, that is going to reassert itself again and again and again. So Let's just deal with our hearts right now and, and, and ask ourselves, have we repented of replacement theology? Have we repented of an anti-Semitic attitude so that we can look more clearly at the, the reality of Scripture? Why, now, let's ask this question. Why did God choose the Jews? And why was Jesus a Jew? And why did he say salvation is from the Jews? So we have to deal with the issue, why did God choose anybody? Isn't he God for everybody? So let's let's just look at that now. When God started out, he gave Adam dominion over creation. We know that from Genesis chapter 1. He gave Adam, that is human beings, dominion over creation. But then Adam allowed Satan to come in, preferred to listen to Satan than to God, believed Satan instead of God, and allowed deception to come in, and the authority that God gave him, the dominion that God gave him, began to be corrupted. Now, God, let's just imagine God as the builder of a house who's building his house for his children, And then he's finished with the house, and he says, Okay, children, now I'm giving you the key. And God's relationship with his creation, with that house, changes at that point because it's their house. So anytime he comes to the house, he's going to stand at the door and knock. And they have to let him in. Okay, so there's a relationship, but the authority is for the human beings on the cre- in the creation. You get this now, and God is limiting Himself and His authority. Well, then Adam messes it all up. the The authority that He is given is abused. It is twisted and perverted. We see that in. Uh, Cain murdering Abel, he didn't have the authority to do that, but he took the authority he didn't have. And it, it, it's, a, it's just a story of abusing authority right on through to the present time. Well, God is not going to take that lying down. He's got a plan how to redeem that situation. He's going to send a redeemer. But that redeemer has to be a man, and he's going to be called the second Adam, and his name will be Yeshua, but we're going to call him Jesus. He's called many different names in the different languages, Jesus in Spanish and so on, but his original name, Yeshua, and he's got to be born totally human in order for him to be able to make his way to become the second Adam, and to be given total authority over the earth. And so uh, this second Adam has to be born of a woman, because that's the only way men happen in this world. They're born of women. So God has to choose a woman through whom his second Adam would be born. And we we all know that was Mary. Well, Mary, how does, how does she come into the world? Well, women are born into families, okay? So there has to be a family selected for this woman to be born to, and that is the family of Jesse and David and this whole lineage uh, of the, of, the, of that family that is descended from David. All right, but tribes... Families come from tribes, and so there's a tribe here, the tribe of Judah. Well, tribes are parts of nations, so there's a nation that has to be chosen, and that's the, the nation of Israel. You see, so God had to choose a woman, a family, a tribe, a nation. He had to choose somebody. And it wasn't because he was playing favorites. He just had to choose somebody if this human being was going to create the new authority that would redeem all the, the fallenness of, of this creation. And so he chose Israel. He chose the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, Now, there's no playing favorites here. He had just as many good promises for Ishmael, for example. I will make of you a great nation. You know, he's not playing favorites. He's just choosing because he's got to choose somebody. And so it does happen to be Israel. And Jesus did say salvation is from the Jews. All right. But now, here we are with the bridge again. And God wants us to understand that this Jesus, this Yeshua, is really the savior of all the people groups and all the nations and all the races. And so here's Paul crossing over and, and he's preaching a Jesus that's just as much the king of European white people, for example. And so European white people want to believe that Jesus is one of them, and so they create pictures of Jesus as a white European. And I don't believe God has a problem with that. I believe that he wants us to believe Jesus is one of us. Um, and well, pretty soon other groups get the idea, and so here's uh, Jesus as a black person, I don't think uh, God has a problem with that. And here's Jesus as a Native American. And you you can just take it on, and you say, well, Jesus isn't Native American. Jesus isn't a black person. He's white like me. But that isn't really true, is it? I mean, we know it's not true. God wants us to know that Jesus is one of us, all of us, no matter what people group we're in. The problem comes when we say we know he's like us and he's not like you and you're wrong and we're right. And that's kind of what Rome did, you see. Rome said Jesus is not a Jew anymore. He's a Gentile. Oh, yeah? Um, you see, when Jesus is coming back, he's going to come back as what he really is. Now, he's also the king of every nation and every people group. But when he comes back, he is going to be a Jew, and he's going to call the Jews to himself, and he's going to meet with the Jews. And there is a thing about Jerusalem in these promises, and that's what we're going to be doing in our next teaching. So Jesus is a man for all nations, but Jesus really is a Jew, and he wants the to the Gentile and the Jew to become one. And it's in that context that we have to now look at end time promise.